Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis. And this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Today, a fantastic story. One of the best things about this podcast is people getting in touch and saying that they would like to have something featured. And I received a splendid email from the New Zealand Maritime Museum. Let's uh, give them their Maori name, Hui Te Ananui A Tangaroa. Now, they suggested we feature a vessel that I had never heard of, the Alice A. Lee. She was a four-masted steel ship built in 1889 by the Whitehaven Shipbuilding Company in Whitehaven in Cumbria. Uh, She was named after the mayoress of Stockport, Alice A. Lee, who performed the christening ceremony. The largest vessel ever built at Whitehaven. She went on to have an amazing career because of the people who lived aboard her. In 1921, she was purchased by a Wellington wool merchant and ship owner who renamed her Rua, R-E-W-A, and put the vessel in his wool fleet to send wool to Britain. So there were no doubt plenty of good British woolly jumpers around with wool provided by this ship. The end of the age of sail caught up with the Alice A. Lee, and in 1930, she was sunk as a wave breaker in Auckland's Hauraki Gulf in New Zealand. She's still there and is a popular tourist site. A very shallow dive uh, makes her a perfect training site for scuba divers and free divers. Her decks have long gone and parts of her masts lay deeper out in the bay, but the ribs and much of her hull plating is still there. We're focusing today on a specific period in her life, 1900 to 1920, when a certain Hannah Davison lived aboard. Now, Hannah was the wife of the captain, And Hannah had six children on board. Six. Two of whom, unfortunately, were buried at sea. The New Zealand Maritime Museum have in their collection fabulous photos and images of Hannah, the captain, the children and the vessel, as well as newspaper clippings, Hannah's scrapbook, her recipe book, all of which tell this remarkable story in great detail and actually this is just going to be episode one of two on the Alice A. Lee and in the next one I'm going to read out uh, plenty of extracts from that wonderful wonderful scrapbook we'll make sure there are images as well on Facebook on Instagram on Twitter so do please seek those out To find out more about the vessel, I spoke with the excellent Frances Walsh. She is an editor and journalist who currently works with the New Zealand Maritime Museum as the museum's writer. What a wonderful job. Her book, Endless Sea, Stories Told Through the Teonga of the New Zealand Maritime Museum. And a teonga is a treasured possession. It really is a wonderful book. I'd urge you all to read it. But for now... Here is Frances. I do hope you enjoy listening to her as much as I enjoy talking with her. 
Francis, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. It's a pleasure, Sam. So, the Alice A. Lee. When did you come across this vessel first? Um, well, it's a kind of, it's a story, it's a figurehead that keeps on giving. In the museum, in the New Zealand Maritime Museum, where I work as the resident writer, we have a figurehead. And it's from the Alice A. Lee vessel, which was a massive British um, iron four-masted bark that was built in Cumbria in 1899 at the Whitehaven Shipping Company yard. Um, and the figurehead represents um, a real person called Alice A. Lee. So the, the vessel was named for the woman, um, and the woman is the figurehead. And Alice A. Lee was the mayoress of Stockport in Manchester at the time of the launch, and she was married to Joseph Lee, who was a Liberal, Liberal Party politician, sort of from the 1890s to about 1906, but he was also the mayor of Stockport. Um, so we actually have the figurehead uh, sort of exhibited. It's, um, it, she's a bit gruesome. She, I think she's been quite badly augmented. You know, she's got this great wad on her chin that looks like some huge boil that seafarers once got. Um, and she's not I the th- most attractive of figureheads. <laughs> she's I, not. I We'll, um, we'll put 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 a pic, we'll put a picture of this up on uh, yes. online so so our listeners can have a look at it. But um, uh, yeah, yes. it's a, it's a, it's an extraordinary one. One of those one of those wonderful figureheads. Um, it does make me wonder whether it's um, kind of wholly unfair and unrepresentative, or a a suspiciously good likeness. Who knows? I know, I know. That's what I thought. I thought you know, it's been she's been through the rough. Through the ringer, I would say, but and also you don't know. We don't know if the colours are true. You know, she's a sort of vision in sea green and navy blue with this enormous rough up and neck, and she looks kind of full of probity and completely kind of humourless. Um, but who knows? Maybe, <laughs> maybe that was it. I mean, she she came from this quite sort of a seafaring family. Her father was, um, oh God, let me remember, um, Adamson. Um, Daniel Adamson, who was this big mover and shaker in the Manchester Canal, um, the shipping canal, and then she married Lee, so they were obviously sort of quite mucky muck. And um, yes, it, so it hangs in our in our um, gallery, and we've recently done a rehang, so I started kind of investigating it, and it is completely amazing, of course, what you can find um, in the archive and the um, Cumberland packet writes quite full well quite quite a lot about the launch which was an absolute fiasco because it was so big you know 3000 tons it was um something like 330 feet long about 46 in the beam 46 feet so it got after she whacked it with the wine Alice A. Lee christened it as well as being the figurehead blah, blah, blah. um it stalled on the slipway and it was kind of half in, half out of the water, and it took sort of three tugs, four days to pull it out. And there were these sort of eight or nine injuries um, in the days when, you know, health and safety, the, it was very funny reading the newspaper because it said something like, the injuries were not major. And it's like, you know, a, <laughs> a corker loses a finger, um, someone, yeah, yeah. the riveter gets concussed, four guys mm. fall 30 feet, all of this stuff, yeah. 
Yeah, but it was major for them. <laughs> major for them, yeah. So then the story, then the story is that Alice A. Lee was then captained by a guy called um, Captain Alan Davison of Carrick, Carrick Fergus in Northern Ireland. He was married to Hannah Johnston, um, and they were married by 1899. So when they first, when he first sailed away from England to Tacoma, I think it was, in Washington State, on this merchant vessel, she went with him, and she stayed with him for 18 years, which is kind of extraordinary, right? I mean, I know mm. it's, not, it's not absolutely rare because, you know, people like, you know, Susan Stark and... Um, it's written about female tars and the sort of 17th to the ni- age of sail, basically. And a New Zealand historian called Joan Druitt has also written this book called Hen Frigates, you know, which I, th- I think that is just, you know, I prefer petticoat frigates, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, where, where women captains' wives and warrant officers' wives did travel on merchant ships uh, and also in the Royal Navy. But um, 18 years or whatever it was, it just seemed quite a lot. So Hannah Davison is there, yeah. I know. And remarkably, she had six children over 10 years, either on the ship or in port. Wow. Um, two of whom died, one at sea and was buried off Easter Island somewhere. And then um, the other... Um, was a a, char- a a baby really and died in San Francisco of cholera in Phantom. The fourteen year old who died off Easter Island, um, that in the captain's log, which was kept by Captain Davison, she he lists her as um, dying of brain fever, which I guess was meningitis or scarlet yeah. fever. There were all the kids with them. Yeah, on and off. I mean, on and off, because it seems that they, I mean, the voyages were very long. I mean, it was extraordinary where they kind of went, because it was, I guess it was such a big vessel, it would have carried, it did carry those bulk cargoes, and it was on that route, you know, where it went England, the Americas, sometimes took in Cuba, and then to Newcastle, Sydney and Sydney and Melbourne, so for coal. So the, the, the cargoes were those bulk things like, you know, flour, wheat, copper ore from Chile, and nitrates then from Chile. Um, so some of the voyages were, were very long, you know. And the interesting thing about it is that she didn't write a journal or a diary, sadly. But she, she and the ship were written about quite a lot in Washington State, newspapers mm. like the Tacoma Daily Ledger and stuff, because I guess they spent quite a long time in port, you know, they'd be there. They, Alice A. Lee was a tramp, so it just went where, you know, where it was charted. So she, they seem to have spent a long time. So, and Hannah kept this scrapbook, um, which was full of newspaper clippings. And it was really interesting. It, the, the ship, the cargo, herself, the husband, the children, they were written about reasonably frequently. Which I think is kind of interesting in itself. You know, I wondered why. Yeah, it must have been unusual enough to um to 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 attract the attention of journalists. Yeah, I reckon. And and there are these kind of lovely little quotes from her, like when she's interviewed in 1915, where I guess they've sneaked back in during the war into Tacoma. She sort of says that 
um, when she first started out, she's, she's quoted as saying that when she first started out, you know, she was this naive and she was quite anxious about voyaging. But then after a few stormy passages around, around Cape Horn, she became, you know, quite brave and had a sort of certain temerity and rejoiced in being with her husband. You know? So, I mean, she sounded resilient. I think is the word. So, so it's her and her husband, several children, depending on, on what stage we are in her life, but, yeah. but possibly four, possibly five, possibly six, yeah. depending on when those poor kids died. Um, what about the rest of the crew? How many others were on board? Well, that is a really interesting thing, Sam, because I've got the logs, um, well, some of them, because this, this story has come to me through this amazing relation of Hannah Davison, who's this dogged, you know, family researcher, and she's She's English, but she lives in Australia. But she, Sally Greer is her name. She went to Kew to the National Archives and got some of the mm-hmm. captain's logs. And it is really hard to work out how many crew are on there at any one time because, mm-hmm. because the interesting thing is, like, every time they get to America, there's mass desertions, right? <laughs> um, you know, and, and especially in San Francisco, Tacoma, um, Seattle, and... You know, they, they, I mean, at one stage, I mean, there's this one where I think it, they get to New York at one stage and like the bosun goes, the carpenter goes, the cook goes, 14 wow. um, able seamen go. So it's quite hard to work out. Um, I mean, it must have been at least about 30, I would say more than 30. I mean, it was, as I say, it was kind of a four-masted, fully-rigged bark. Yeah, I mean, she's a huge ship. I've been looking at the pictures and the, and the ship plans, which are, are held in the archives of the uh, Lloyd's Register Foundation. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's a very big ship, right? And maybe that was partly why it was written about also in Washington, you know, because it was a big bugger. I don't know. Um, <laughs> apart from the fact that she was on it <laughs> and the children sometimes. Yeah. What about the um, wool trade? I'm quite interested in that. Would, that would, would she have taken part in that from New Zealand? No. So what happened, I mean, the history of the the history of the ship and why we've got the figurehead is that in 1918, he, he and she left, left the ship and it was bought initially by a kind of uh, New York ship owner. But then in 1921, it was bought by a New Zealander called George um, Scales and he was a wool merchant out of Wellington um, in New Zealand and he put it on the wool run from... Um, off in the South Island, Littleton, the port of Littleton, through to London. And that was when the wool was on it. And and that, interestingly enough, there are reports of, um, because I think the, the ship was regarded as quite fast, of it going, of it making the voyage to London in 102 days, which does seem quite fast, doesn't it? With 28 crew. It does mention the number of crew. But then the, the bottom seems to have dropped out. So by the last the last um, trip, the last voyage to London with the wool bales was in 1923. And then it had a kind of ignoble end, really. And um, it was, it sort of lay in Auckland at the port for about, till 1930. And then it was towed out into the um, Waitemata, the Auckland Harbour, north of Auckland. And then it was um, sort of wedged by an island. And it's a breakwater now. I mean, you people dive around it. It's, it's great for kind of, it's one of those kind of great snorkeling islands. So, yeah, it, it ended badly. 
But there was this mm. other really interesting thing that happened, and I thought one indignity after another. In 1926, when it was sort of somewhere in Auckland at the port, sort of, um, they sent all its sails, they sent all the sails, which was something like 84 sails, back to England to sell. Um, mm. And it was, I think it was something like, you know, several tonnes, 13 tonnes, but then that they all came back because they couldn't sell them. Um, and I guess, you know, the days of the windjammers doing that kind of cargo uh, carrying was gone by then. Yeah, I, I love that. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Idea of a... Um, of, uh sails from one ship sort of you know moving around but not attached to the ship <laughs> being used for something else and people trying to sell it fascinating yeah. um let's go back to to hannah davison and what we know yeah. about her during that that period um 1900 to 1920 um you told me that that her scrapbook arrives I and mean, what's in her scrapbook oh it's fantastic it's a kind of a, it's a kind of monograph of the life and times of of the ship really and it has kind of biographical details as well because she's obviously clipped um, little death notices from home from um, Carrick of when her dad dies and stuff but it starts out so it's a kind of quite an interesting record and as I say she they are interviewed a bit um, both her and the captain so she's just sort of pasted them in and she's she wasn't the world's greatest archivist because some of it is not dated and some of the publications are not um, titled um, but they're kind of an extraordinary record. So she's clipped things like the first child that she had um, was in 1900 when they were in Tacoma, and it was in port, and they named her Alice A. Lee Davison <laughs> after after the vessel, obviously. And it, and there's this kind of sweet little kind of article that said um, that the locals brought some pressure to bear on the captain and his wife with presents to try and persuade them to name the child Tacoma, but they went with Alice A. Lee. And then there is another fascinating article, because when they were back in Tacoma in 19... The next time they were back in Tacoma was 1907, and um, she had another baby, and they had to leave it in Tacoma because it was sickly in Fanny Paddock Hospital, and then they didn't get back for three years. So this little guy called Alan um, Davison waited he was brought up by the hospital superintendent for them to kind of come back and get him I mean if that wouldn't give you separation anxiety as an adult you know it's like, yeah. um and then there were things like you know especially you know during the war years that that was it seemed to be that then they that Hannah and Alan must the captain must have sent the kids back to Carrick Fergus because in that there were reports of Alice A. Lee being fired upon, you know, by submarines and having to abandon ship and then being saved by a kind of um, French um, torpedo ship. And really interesting things like over the war also in 1915, she clipped this little article that reported that 15 of the crew 
were had taken a libel action against Alice A. Lee because Captain Davison wouldn't pay them out. This was in the States. Um, and because they were refusing to go back to England across the war zone. So they took it to court, which is interesting. And then he had to pay them in their back wages and he had to let them go. And he had to recruit another 15 um, seafarers. Yeah, which is kind of, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying looking at a couple of these scraps um, over the last few days that you, you've sent me. There's a, a brilliant a brilliant bit here from a newspaper. I shall just read this out. Does it say, I'm not sure it says which newspaper this is. No. Um, a thrilling tale of the sea was related at Falmouth <laughs> yesterday upon the arrival of the British ship Alice A. Lee of Liverpool, bound from... I- 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 how do I pronounce that? I-Q-U-Q-U-E. Iquique. Iquique. Bound from Iquique to Falmouth, she took 159 days over a 90 days voyage. She encountered a terrific storm off Cape Horn and when on the equator, fell in with a dead calm in which it took 24 days to do 60 miles. Their food and water ran out. They had to chew tea leaves and coffee grounds, but fortunately fell in with a steamer by which food was shipped to them. Most of the crew are suffering from scurvy, berry, berry and boils. I particularly like so, the boils, yeah. Oh, good Lord. Um, I know. Terrible. The, but you know, the thing is, Sam, and it's kind of interesting to think what she was, what she actually did, right, on on the ship, because in the log, um, the captain lists her sometimes as a stewardess, right, which kind of, they did sometimes take passengers, so it would have been seemly if they were female, female passengers to be looked after by a female, right? But whether she... But whether she also, um, the family law says she, she took the sextant sightings, but there is no proof of that because apparently she was good at maths. But who knows whether she did that? And, and the thing that interests me was whether she helped him with sickness or injury because the thing about Alice A. Lee and the captain is there was, there was no surgeon, so he was the resident medic. And he had this little book, 1883 book, called The Seaman's Medical Friend, which um, the relation has actually sent me in the mail, which is a rivetingly grim read at how he would have dealt with, you know, everything from boils to the plague to delirium tremens. I mean, it's, it's kind of gruesome. And VD, every time they left a port... About yeah. a week or so after, there was, you know, treated, you know, able semen, bosun for swollen testicles, you know, da-da-da-da-da. He said he didn't have VD. He does have VD. I'm giving him mercurial ointment, you know. So, but whether, in fact, Hannah, you know, was a handmaiden in that way, it, it's kind of impossible to know. But the... But the log, the captain's log, as I say, it doesn't really mention, she doesn't get a look in other than the fact that, you know, the children's deaths are recorded in this really matter-of-fact, heart-rending way. It's just list them, the time, the day, latitude and longitude, what they died of, that's it. She She's mentioned when she's listed as a stewardess, I thought this was really funny and probably quite politic, he gives her a very good for ability and general conduct. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but that's kind of her presence in the log. And amongst 
in amongst this vision, I mean, the log in particular gives this vision of a very hard male world of, you know, um, injuries, he lists fights on board, knifings on board, as I say, you know, the desertions, then there were the injuries, the illnesses, you know, him being kind of threatened by a steward with a rolling pin. I mean, some of it is, he has quite a nice turn of phrase, you know. He, he says, he, and I, the ones I really like is they were in Valparaiso in 1908, and he talks about finding the cock five shillings for being intoxicated and disobeying orders. And yeah. then then Davison diagnoses him as having VD. Um, then the, the quote is, from Davison in the log, I told him he he would be logged and fined, to which he said I could do what the devil I liked in other obscene language, end of quote. (laughs) (laughs) He got shouted at, basically. Yeah. I'm just just reading here the description of this voyage when it all went wrong. Uh, She took 159 days to complete the passage. It normally takes 20 days, so they're they're, they're stuck at sea for for more than a month. Yeah. Um, they uh, lose her four topmast, main to gallant mast, all sail and gear attached. But the crew's greatest hardship was the want of tobacco, <laughs> which I, I don't believe because he then goes on to describe what happens to them. Um, about the, the first and second officers and carpenter, um, they get they get berry berry, um, a dreadful tropical disease which causes yeah. the limbs to swell to enormous proportions while the sailmaker yeah. was attached by scurvy. And I like this. When they arrive in Falmouth, um, they get carted off to the hospital. They go to the Royal yeah. Cornwall Sailors' Home and they all get featured in the paper. So <laughs> Falmouth, um, you know, that's a very important, big, uh, you know, transatlantic port. So they all see all sorts of people coming in. But yeah. this one, this story was obviously <laughs> great. The wonderful photo of her with her five children. I know, um, it's kind of wonderful, isn't it? I think the other thing is that um, when you look at her, particularly in the wedding photo, because they've... We've got the wedding photos, or Sally Greer has researched that's in the family collection. Um, when they got married in 1899, they were photographed in Belfast. They were quite glam. I mean, he had this kind of handlebar moustache. She, an interesting pose. She's standing while he's sitting, and I thought, I wonder what the significance of that is. But I think also the family said she was quite the clothes horse. So when she went back to Belfast after all of that stateside shopping, I think people were quite impressed by her threads. Um, yeah. So she, she was like, you know, and it was, and, and I did think, Sam, I thought, you know, I wonder why she went. Because, I mean, maybe she was crazy for the captain. Maybe she was adventurous. I mean, they did go to amazing ports. When you looked at, you know, the, the route and the captain's log, it was Havana, there, there was North America, but there was also, you know, Antofagasta and Valparaiso and Chile, Santo Rosalio in the Gulf of Mexico, Newcastle, Melbourne, Sydney, you know, Shanghai. And you sort of thought, I did keep thinking of that, you know, that that most beautiful Van Morrison cover of I Wish I Was in Carrick Fergus, you know, the old, (laughs) and thinking, I wonder if she ever wished she was back in Carrick Fergus, you know. But there was a very telling, in in the scrapbook, there was this quite, telling kind of clipping where um they were i think it was it was about 1916 and again it was in 
it was when they were in port in the Americas and they said, you know, the captain and Mrs. Davison are back in Tacoma. You know, all their friends are very excited. And then um, it said, you know, Captain Davison is very proud of his brood. At that stage, I think they had five children. But he does mention also that children have monetary value because the more children one has under English law, the less tax one pays. And, he, yes. and they even quote that each chi- with each child, one, someone on a moderate income can save 20 sterling a year. <laughs> and I thought, was he a mean fucker? Did he say to her, you're coming with me? No, you got to work as a stewardess. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I think so. The um, I really enjoyed this bit in the in the um scrapbook as well. Talking about the um, the 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 mixed race of the children. Yes. So we've got this bit here. There are five children in the family, all born at sea. Um. So uh, Miss Alice Ailey Davison, the firstborn, christened in honour of the ship, first saw light of day in Tacoma Harbour fifteen years ago. So that's near Seattle. Florence Eveline Victoria Davison was born on the Yangtze Kiang River near Shanghai. We'll celebrate her 14th birthday next June. Edward Johnson Davidson, six years old, asserts he is not a Mexican, <laughs> although his birthplace was in the Gulf of California while the vessel was lying at Santa Rosalia. I know. Um, so those three are on the vessel with their mother, Jack, born in the South Pacific. We were seven at the time. And... Um, uh, I'm just going on, wait, give me a sec. I'm still reading through this. It's wonderful. Um, their birth data shows that the children are of varied nationality. Two Americans, a Mexican, a South Sea Islander and a Chinese. Not an Irishman or Colleen among them, despite the fact that both parents are direct from the old sod. It makes me um, lament what the hell has happened to modern newspapers. It's fantastic. And there's this bit here about the, t- the tax. Um Naturally, the parents are proud of their little brood. And besides, the the captain points out that they are of a monetary value to him. Each child cuts a slice from the income tax he has to pay under the laws of England. The more children one has, the less revenue he has to contribute. I know. It's fantastic, isn't it? I know. So, you know, I I sort of... Yeah, I know. But 18 years, it's a long time, isn't it? And then he died. And the, in, the, um, in her scrapbook, there's a little birth, uh, not birth, death notice for him, for the captain. And they're obviously, after he left Alice A. Lee, the captaincy, he became the harbour master at Carrickfergus. But he mm. didn't seem to kind of live for that long. I mean, I think the again, it's not dated, but it... I calculated that he was probably about 60 when he died in 1926. And, yeah. and, it, and it talks about, you know, we say goodbye to an old seaman who was, you know, a member of the Barn Football Club Lodge Number no. 43, Presbyterian Eldon. And then she lived for quite some time. But the, but the little scrapbook, or the quite big scrapbook, basically ends in night. The last clipping is 1930, when um, it must have, maybe it was a report from over your neck of the woods to say that the Alice Lee, which by that stage was called Rewa, um, because George Scales, the wool, the wool merchant, changed its name, had been kind of hulked and was at Motorekareka Island, which is the island I told you about that's kind of quite near Auckland. And kind of that was it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's amazing. The, um, the also they're very stri- very striking couple, aren't they? He's very they handsome. Are. She's a, a remarkable looking person, and the, the 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 brilliant photograph of her with one of her children. I'm not sure which that's one Alice. it is. That's Alice. That's Alice. That's Alice. So that's yeah. her first. Um, she's got the best hat I've ever seen. I know. I know. It's like a hundred birds could nest in it. It's fantastic. Let's describe. It? Let's describe it. It's black. Um, yeah. There are significant amounts of feathers. It's, yeah, it's very high on her head. It's and, um, very high. Very yeah. glamorous. I mean, she looks fantastic, doesn't I she? I know, she does. She does <laughs> look fantastic. Yeah. What a, what a real character. I'd, I'd very much have liked to have met this couple and, and their children. Yeah. Uh, I think they're fantastic. <laughs> uh, Francis, thank you so much for sharing me this brilliant story with me today. Thanks, Sam. Many thanks indeed for listening. Now, don't just listen to the podcast. There's so much more to get involved with. Do please check out the Mariner's Mirror podcast's YouTube channel, TikTok and Instagram, where you will find some truly magnificent videos which showcase the maritime world in an entirely new light, not least the brilliant new films in which we film the world's best ship models with the latest camera equipment. Uh, This podcast comes from both the Lloyds Register Foundation and the Society for Nautical Research, so do please take the time to check out everything that both of those venerable institutions have been up to. You can find the Lloyds Register Foundation's History Centre and Archive at hec.lrfoundation.org.uk and the Society for Nautical Research at snr.org.uk, where you can join up. There is even a free level of membership, but for a small annual cost, you would then get to enjoy all of the numerous perks of membership, including four copies of the printed Mariner's Mirror Journal every year, online access to over a century's worth of maritime historical scholarship, online seminars. You can even come to dinner on board HMS Victory in Portsmouth. And we've just had the AJM, which was actually held, the dinner there was held on the Warrior rather than the Victory this year, and it was a really wonderful, wonderful event just a reason on its own to become part of the Society for Nautical Research. Thank you.